before we start this very special episode, we want to thank our new sponsor, Lost Republic. Badass bourbon and rye distilled and bottled right here in Northern California. And even better, it was founded by Matt Weiss and Colin Harder, two best friends from grade school in Santa Rosa, who really wanted to put California on the map for making great whiskey. And this sponsor couldn't come at a better time right before the Super Bowl. And let's be honest, right before the halftime show for this year's Super Bowl. Good times had by all. Shared it with some friends during the halftime show. It like... It was the best part of the Super Bowl. And honestly, when Dre played, I ain't mad at you on the keys. I was not mad at my Lost Republic bourbon for uh, being my partner in that special moment. And you too can find your Lost Republic partner at lostrepub.com. Find out where you can try and buy it and tell them Bitch Talk sent you. Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind the scenes videos and two minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30am at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear... Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Welcome to a very special episode. We needed this bitch talk bump. Uh, We have Gabe Kapler on. He is the manager of the San Francisco Giants, but he came into the MLB system in the late 90s. And um, I want to give a shout out to his 2021 season. Gabe Kapler, as a manager, won more games than any team in SF Giants franchise history, which is huge. And um, he was the National League Manager of the Year and Sporting News National League Manager of the Year in 2021. But he's here to talk about um, a nonprofit that he founded called Pipeline for Change. I mean, we could talk a little bit, a little bit about baseball, but what really... um, got us excited was your nonprofit. So welcome to Bitch Talk, Gabe Kapler. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here with you guys and looking forward to the discussion. So I'm going to start off with a real easy one. Can you tell our audience what Pipeline for Change is? Sure. It's a a foundation uh, that I started with one of my closest friends who is now uh, the executive director. Her name is Stephanie St. Amore. And um, the goal is essentially to get... um, marginalized communities and could list them off, but I think it's it's just worth saying marginalized communities in two positions of decision-making power in sports, but first in baseball and not as a box checking exercise, but as a reason to make sports better and to reflect to society that a more diverse group of decision-makers makes for better decisions in general, because we're seeing things from a lot of different angles with a lot of different life experience. Um, And so we think it's going to make sports better, baseball better. And ultimately, because society tends to follow professional sports um, and tends to look up to professional sports, we become example setters and we'll look out into our communities and see um, business owners making similar decisions and and helping to not just 
hire a, a diverse group of, of people, but also um, create mentorship programs to ensure that this group thrives in their work. If I can ask a, a backup question to that too, I read that your parents met while working uh, in the civil rights movement in the 60s. Does any of their work out in the world kind of um, help you in, in what you're doing for baseball and sports? And I think so. One of my earliest recollections of my father was um, driving in, in a car with him and him getting out of the, stopping the car, getting out of the car and spray painting political messages <laughs> on like freeway uh, overpasses. And so one of the major themes in my, in my home was um, challenge authority because somebody is in a position of power or a position of, of authority, whether that be a teacher, a police officer, a political figure, whatever, we, we're not going to um, take their word at face value. We're going to ask them questions about a, what they believe, but also what they're asking us to do. And so um, I think that example was, was set early on. It was one of many examples that my father and mother um, set for me in, in my house growing up. Um, obviously that doesn't make my wor worldview any more important than anybody else's, but it, it definitely shaped the way I think about things. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I find just really exciting about Pipeline for Change is you're taking sports fans who may, may or may not overlap with uh, those that follow politics or, or policy or, or even civil unrest, and you're sort of asking them to, to move with the times, to catch up to the times. And, and so that's like just a huge space for growth and evolution, but at the same time, a huge space for pushback. So um, I, I'm interested to hear um, what, if any, kind of pushback do you get when you talk about these ideals with your peers in professional sports and, and kind of what is your response to that? I mean, I think the pushback is um, pretty well documented. It's, it's, and this is independent of sports, but it's, it's sort of what we've been taught is you have to, you have to look a certain way. You have to have a certain kind of background to be successful and in particular in, in these sports. Um, actually, a, a better example is, you know, we have a very um, white and very well educated group of decision makers in baseball. And those people, generally men, tend to look for people that look like them, act like them, sound like them. And when they see something that looks very, very different, they just kind of cut off. And so the pushback is ultimately in a lack of openness about what somebody who thinks differently has, has to offer. That can be threatening. Change can be incredibly uncomfortable. And all of us, myself included, have to, to push ourselves to um, just listen a little bit more carefully when, when somebody who doesn't have the same background as us is, is talking about how to, how to push a game forward like baseball. Um, one real-time example of that is um, when we're thinking about hiring women for um, positions like a manager, which just happened in, in, um, in minor league baseball, the New York Yankees mm -hmm. hired Rachel, Rachel Balkovic, who is insanely talented and who can do any job that her male counterparts can do and, and potentially do them better. She just didn't have the, the professional baseball experience. Um, she's taken a different path through some strength and conditioning um, avenues. And then 
you know, she's been willing to kind of sacrifice to, to put herself in this position, but her and Alyssa Nacken, both women in professional sports have every tool necessary to be great major league managers. But getting back to the question about pushback, historically, men have kind of kept um, these candidates at, at, at arm's length and said that they, they, because they haven't been able to see their greatness and their talent. And, and that's just, it's just unacceptable. We have to be able to push back and, and, and see that talent and create these opportunities and then help, you know, get, get these women into positions of, of power so that, you know, the, the, the girls and young women who have representation when they look into our dugouts, it's actually really simple. Um, but it's, it, it's obviously complicated at the same time, which is why we were so slow and we haven't, we haven't done a good enough job. Wow. So you came into the Giants in a real interesting year, 2020, uh, pandemic and social unrest, and you took a knee. And um, I have to say my background is that I grew up a Giants fan, went with my dad, went with my grandpa, went to Candlestick. I worked for the Giants late 90s into the 2000s. Um, And I fell off during the Trump administration because I was like, I didn't feel like baseball cared about me or my voice, didn't care about women of color. And there are so many women of color and women in general. That's the audience for baseball. And we're just not being talked to. And then we fast forward to 2020, you're taking a knee and then you created Pipeline for Change. And I'm like, I think I'm interested in baseball again because of the actions that you were taking as a leader for the team. So I want to know when all that was happening, is that when Pipeline for Change kind of grew some roots or was it before that? Um, And why is this so important for you right now? Well, I think it's been percolating for longer than that. And again, I like, you know, both my mother and my father, if you ask them, would would say that they're feminists, right? My father passed away a little over a year ago. My mom and he definitely identified as a feminist. Now, what's interesting about that is I he presented a very strong, very classic male role model in my home growing up. So I think he was able to strike a really nice balance by advocating for, for women, advocating for, for women of color, advocating for people of color, and also presenting something traditional. Like he struck a really interesting balance and maybe not just for that reason. I, I really, really look, looked up to him. So, you know, when did this, these sort of thoughts and, and, and feelings start for me? Really, really long time ago. And, and probably to some degree, subconsciously, like I, Sure, like the the lessons that my my father and my mother taught me were verbal, but they were much more about them walking the walk, right? Like the kneeling thing happens because my mother and father, you know, watched Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak live. I have pictures of it, you know, and and so that to me was, uh, you know, a, a very very important message. Like, so my my mother and father swore a lot in my house growing up. There's a lot Great. of cussing. <laughs> we we're here for it. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, and, and this is sort of how they expressed emotion. There was a lot, a lot of profanity, but my father was extremely, extremely strong. Anytime there was anybody said anything that was mildly homophobic, mildly racist, like that was like painful for him. Mm-hmm. And so where does my, my feeling of, of wanting to be an activist come from? I mean, it comes from them, right? I mean, my, 
my brother shares similar beliefs. Two of the most important leaders in, in my life and in my world are my two sons. They also have strong, you know, activism leans and really strong backbones and advocate for people of color and, and, and marginalized group. And by the way, I would consider my, my younger son, both of my, are of my, of my sons are half Dutch Indonesian. And that is Dutch Indonesian is a nationality. So for those listening who don't know this, Dutch Indonesian is not to the best of my knowledge is not a mix. It is one nationality, Dutch Indonesian. And so my, my older son is Brown, you know? And so he, my younger son is also Dutch Indonesian, but he's not Brown, but they, to me, I think they both identify as, as to some degree or another people of color. I, I know Chase. Does. So they are, they're both strong leaders and activists in their own, in their own peer groups and communities. And I think I, I, I followed, followed their lead a lot to some degree or another. I think one of the things that's just really re- refreshing about you, Gabe, is that, that you do, you walk the walk. You're not, you're not just, Oh, I have this platform. Uh, maybe I should be doing something. It, it seems, it, it seems like, you know, we've interacted with the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't your first time, you know, dipping into philanthropy. You started the Gabe Kepler foundation for um, victims of domestic violence. And, and I would even argue that's what makes you a great manager is just that your, your ability to listen, to communicate and to kind of have your finger on the pulse of, of, you know, what needs to happen um, to make the group better overall. Do you agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all connected, right? Everything we do is all connected. First of all, it's very complimentary. Thank you. I, I, I'm guessing the question you're asking is, do I think that makes me a better manager? So my my vantage point on on diversity, does that make me a better manager? And I think the answer is yes, because my first goal as a manager and as a coach and as a teacher is to be by with as many people in our clubhouse as possible. If we have 26 players on our roster at any given time, how can I connect with, with each, of, each of them as individuals? And what I've come to recognize is that I may not be able to, but I can put together, nurture, and develop a staff that can. So we have a larger staff. We have several women on our staff. We have um, a black man from the Bahamas on our staff. We have um, we have a native Spanish speaker, two native Spanish speakers in our dugout. One is from Puerto Rico. One is from the Dominican Republic. We have a Japanese-born um, coach on our staff. We have young, a little bit older on our staff. We can we can connect with the players in our clubhouse. So for me, this diversity thing it's it's really not just about being diverse for the sake of being diverse. It's, it's, we want to be able to connect with everybody. We want to have a, a coach for every player. It's very similar to like how you would construct um, a group of professors at a university. You're, you don't want them to all be exactly the same because a good portion of the student population is going to be like, eh, don't really want to be here right now. I don't get it. So we try to make it accessible, the clubhouse accessible for every player through our, you know, our coaching staff. There's another thing that you talk about through pipeline for change. And also I just noticed like on your personal Instagram or, you know, whatever socials you have is talking about mental health. 
Um, and mental health, we talk about a lot on Bitch Talk. And I'm just interested to know how mental health and taking care of your mental health um, has impacted your managing um, or your personal life, if you want to go there. And, um, and, and why is it so important for you to talk about it? First, I think there's a competitive component to it. I'm going to leave the competitive side. I'm going to push that aside for a minute and, and just talk about what I envision for our players and then ultimately for people in society. So our players walk into our clubhouse after waking up with a stiff neck. They slept poorly and their neck is really stiff. They're going to walk into our training room and have access to several trainers with a bunch of modalities and ways to get them ready to play that night's game, whether that be massage or, or stim and ice, or it could be a medical inter- or, uh, excuse me, a pharmaceutical intervention like over-the-counter um, anti-inflammatories, whatever. If you are a player and you wake up and you are exceptionally depressed or you are feeling a, an incredible amount of anxiety for whatever reason, something that's happening at home, or maybe you just, you have a cycle that, that you deal with. You walk in, you walk into the clubhouse, you're just expected to go get them that night. Right. So that's a really tough spot to start as a human being. And this is true at work too. Like mm-hmm. people go through entire days of work and they're just elsewhere. They, they, they're not functioning well. So I just think that's the right thing to do in society is figure out ways to treat people who are dealing with depression and anxiety and many other mental health issues. Now, the competitive side of that is if you do that, you do that successfully, your players are better that night. So, um, you know, that just gives you a, a competitive advantage on the competition. So those are a couple of the reasons that we've invested so um, heavily in mental health. I don't suffer from depression and anxiety, but my mom does. And a lot of my, you know, a lot of the players that are in our clubhouse, because statistically we know this is true, do. So how can I be a better support system to them? And probably more importantly, how can I help surround these players um, with the resources that they need? Because I'm not, I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. I can be a decent listener, but I can, I can certainly like help people get to the right resources within our clubhouse. And sometimes um, help them with, with outside resources. Yeah. On, on the topic of mental health, uh, you moved to San Francisco, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, you know, you can come from Philly. So I'm curious to know what were your, what was your reaction to San Francisco coming to a city, uh, as iconic in the midst of a pandemic, just what were your first thoughts? And I, I really feel like we just took you with open arms. <laughs> Is that no, I think- to you? I think there's some of that. I mean, I think, you know, open arms get a little bit more open when winning happens. So let's just, <laughs> let's just, yeah. let's just make sure that, um, <laughs> that we, we call that out. But, but what I, but what I will say is, um, San Francisco always called to me. It always made me feel comfortable. I remember coming to San Francisco as a player with the Texas Rangers and, um, we stayed in San Francisco. We were playing the Oakland A's at the time. Every time I would come to San Francisco, I would take Bart to to the Coliseum. Yeah. And I just felt at home. Like I grew up in, in LA and I grew up on RTDs. Now it's metro, like whatever, public transportation, walking, a big time melting pot. LA is all of those things as well. But San Francisco is a very progressive, very technologically advanced, 
very accepting and quite beautiful city. My my dad had a lot of kind of like romantic connection to the city itself. He described the bridges to me. He described the trains to me when I was a boy. And so my my aunt lives in San Francisco as well. So there's a lot of connections. It was just an easy transition to the city and the and the culture. And it still feels like a place that I'm just, you know, really comfortable with every time, you know, I come back. Yeah. I mean, I, I bumped into you at my local coffee shop and I'm like, what the (laughs) hell is Gabe Kapler doing in in and around my neighborhood? You never see players like kind of out and about in the city. So it was really refreshing to see that. Um, We are going to be wrapping up in a minute. But I also want to say your hip hop knowledge is like chef's kiss. Can you, <laughs> you. can you talk Thank about, you. do you love yes. so much? Yes. I, I, I love, I love it. I love it way more than baseball. I love music, music <laughs> wow. way more than, Strong than, words. than baseball. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love baseball, but there is, but my, so again, I, I know I've like hammered my dad as an influence, but he's a classic, <laughs> he's a classical pianist. He was a, a composer. We had music playing in my house all the time growing up, a, a piano playing, but then also um, a lot of different styles of music. And I grew up on hip hop. So I would say like by the time I was 12 years old through my most formative years and then into my mid 20s, it was like my my favorite music. And now my sons are both hip hop heads. We talk <laughs> constantly, like we're always comparing like, Kendrick Lamar to to Tupac and Earl Sweatshirt Mm. to to Biggie and like we're all Vince Staples fans but we also like electronic um I should say electronic instrumental hip-hop and producers like excellent producers and most of my one of the things I say on my IG is the track the track is the story so if I'm posting a photograph on on an IG story it's really not about the picture at all for me. It's about the track that I'm playing with it. Sometimes the track makes sense with the picture, but most of the time it's just, I just want a reason to post a track <laughs> that, that, I'm, that I'm listening to. So yeah, no, huge, huge hip hop fan. Are, are you? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We grew up, I grew up, yeah. I grew up with LA hip hop, same as you. Yeah. Do you play any instruments or do you rap? Cause I can beatbox right now. <laughs> Oh, we can oh, just do um, this, Gabe. No, I'm, I'm 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 more of a fan, not the talent. But I can I can um I I can play a little bit of bass guitar poorly. I can play a little bit of drums. I can play a little bit of piano poorly because my dad taught me. But uh, I would say like drums are are my favorite instrument. But a, a mm. bass guitar is essentially a rhythm intr- instrument as well. So like all of these beats that we hear on our on our hip hop tracks, I think you know it's it's drums and bass. You know that's that's what drives. Well, I just have to tell you, I just bought a cross colors Tupac sweatsuit. Like, so a that's how co- is yeah. cross colors. They're, yes. they're still making clothing. They're still making clothing. And I never was able to afford it in the 90s. I had this whole conversation with that's them funny. in a pr- prior episode. So that's how deep I am with my love. Wow. And I also that, got a cross colors left eye hoodie. So, yeah, that's so interesting. We're bringing it I, back. I, speaking of bringing it back. OK, and I'm in I'm in L.A. <laughs> So I'm on Melrose um, the other day and like the sort of the biggest like fashion shopping district, in my opinion, in L.A. Mm -hmm. And I walk by the champion store. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm looking like there's a there's a champion store on this major shopping street. So obviously we've heard how champion is kind of making its way back into 
the mainstream. But I mm-hmm. walked in and it's like, there was like a hoodie in there. It was like 135 bucks. And I'm like, hold on a second. Wow. The, cha- the champion sweatshirt <laughs> that I saw at Kmart yep. when I was like, you know, 12 years old for 14 bucks or like 12 bucks. What happened? Like, when did this become a, 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 a sort of big brand again? A big like, I mean, I don't even know if it was ever a desirable brand. I, it was right. just a, an interesting, no, interesting just, moment. It's just what kids wore. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was, it was what kids wore and it wasn't, it wasn't cool. It wasn't no, cool. It was like, it you kind of wanted to like hide your champion stuff and like, yeah. can I like find my way to something Nike? So I, I, <laughs> right. that's, that's the bringing it back um, along with the cross colors conversation. <laughs> well, cross colors was always a little pricey, but you know, yes, it was a yes, brand you I can did. believe in, you know, it was a brand <laughs> you wanted to support. So, but it wasn't it only like only a thing for like four or five years and then just disappeared and then died. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, in living color, really, really put it through the roof. Like they were always wearing cross colors, and yeah, right. I just I yeah. dreamed about it. But the the Tupac sweatsuit, I yeah. I mean, you should look it up. You'd look good in it. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will definitely check it out. <laughs> Tupac cross show up to practice or whatever. Cross colors one day sweatsuit. Yeah, hoodie and sweats. Yeah. That's well, we have been known to travel casually as the San Francisco Giants. We wear what we want to wear on the <laughs> yes. planes. So maybe that would be a good travel outfit for me. <laughs> I think the team would appreciate it. Uh, I think so, too. Oh, I can't and we'll know that it's your message to us. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. exactly. You that's, were loud out. That's my, that's my wink. Yeah, yeah. Gabe Kapler, thank you. We hope it's not the last time and maybe one day in person when you're in San Francisco. I would love that. That was that was a lot of fun. And where can people find Pipeline for Change? Uh, PipelineforChangeFoundation.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. We're on IG. We're on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. We love what you guys are doing and we're here to support. So thank you so much. Thanks so much. We appreciate the opportunity. Thanks to our friends at Lost Republic Whiskey for sponsoring the podcast. You can find them at lostrepub.com or find it at your local pub or bottle shop and tell them that Bitch Talk sent you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. <laughs>